I, um, I often have my sermons planned out some time in advance, not necessarily what I'm going to say, but kind of the topic and, and moving through different series and other things. Today um, has been blank on my calendar for a number of weeks, and, and I didn't know what it was going to be out until about midweek. Um, and uh, what really prompted me to want to talk about this is that every time I would get online, I was overwhelmed by the collective anger and anxiety, um, stress uh, that just everyone was communicating. And I wanted to talk about that. It, it really began to kind of weigh on me, and, and I want to kind of talk about that some today. I was about halfway done with the sermon when I realized that it was Memorial Day weekend and, and an appropriate time to think about uh, memorializing and remembering and, and, and grieving in good grief and, and celebrating the loss of things in ways that are, are healthy. Uh, and I want to talk about that some today. Uh, at Northwest, about 10 years ago, we decided we would relaunch uh, some of our recovery classes and recovery programs that we had done with great success about 20 years ago. Uh, and we relaunched them. We had many good teachers and resources and materials. And, and after about two or three months, we shut them down because no one showed up. Uh, there wasn't anyone that was interested in the classes or the programs. Uh, last fall, uh, Betty and Cindy came to me and said, I, we feel that there is a very real need for us to start our grief share program again. Uh, and I said, okay, uh, let's go. How soon do you want to start? And, and we'll buy the materials and we'll get it going. Um, the hope was, hey, we did this 10 years ago and we really couldn't get any regularity, couldn't get people coming with consistency. If we can just get five people to come consistently, this will be a success and we'll be excited that it's, it's working and it's going really well. Um, what happened instead is about 25 people showed up and kept coming and kept coming. Uh, and so they had kind of their first 12 or 13 weeks planned out and they got to the end of it. And, and there were five or 10 new people who said, listen, we just got here at the end. Can you start over? And they said, okay, we'll start over. And right now, what we see in our country and in many of our lives is that grief is a very real part of the world that we're living in. There's a lot of loss. There's a lot of a need for processing that. Um, and, and it's tough on kids. It's been a tough couple of years to be a kid. If you're in high school, uh, your high school or college career was deeply affected by COVID and all of the, the protocols and everything that came out of that, uh, not to mention the pandemic itself. Uh, if you're a child that's been born uh, in the last couple of years, you've had a different preschool experience than the children that have come before you. And, and there's a lot that's been very, very different and difficult in our world. Uh, so Betty and Cindy came to me uh, earlier this week and said, hey, we're listening to our families that are in the grief seminar. And one of the things they're saying is their kids are having a hard time dealing with grief. Their kids are having a hard time processing some of the stuff uh, that they're going through right now in the loss of loved ones and other things. Um, and, and I had told them before that I had put together a seminar uh, through part of my schooling down at actually Lubbock um, that deals with helping children deal with grief. And, and so we're going to be putting that on here at Northwest on June 12th. Uh, it's going to be a two-hour seminar uh, that's going to be called Grieving Well with Children. Uh, and this is an important topic because so many things that we assume about grief um, and, and assume about parenting and children uh, are in tension with each other. 
For example, if, if you've understood what good grieving is in your life, you understand that there is a healing aspect of going through the hurt. And yet as a parent, you don't ever want your kids to hurt, right? And so they need the hurt to get to the healing, and you want to protect them from that. Well, those two things are really, really difficult in tough times. So we're going to talk about how to do that. If this is something that you think, well, we haven't had any losses in our family recently, I will tell you that this seminar um, also teaches uh, good grieving is a life skill for children, something that they learn early so that they have the tools to deal with it, uh, what comes later. Uh, so if, if you're not in it, and I still think you could benefit from it if it's something that interests you as a parent or grandparent, uh, come and hear what that is about. Um, but today I, I want to talk about not that, but kind of connected with that, is the heaviness in our world. There's a real anxiety, there's a real heaviness that seems to just be everywhere. Um, and, and maybe your experience of the world is different and that's not it and that's okay, but I think for most of us, uh, there's just bad news all the time and it can feel overwhelming at times. Many of us, it, it might be hard to remember a day that we didn't feel overwhelmed, exhausted, anxious, afraid, outraged, in disbelief. Uh, how often do you say, well, that's just the world we live in today? Do you find yourself thinking that all the time? Oh, well, it's just the world, the way of the world today. It's not the way it used to be. Uh, and it affects so many different things. Uh, gas is crazy. I put a mortgage payment on my gas tank the other day, and, and that's not something that's of great consequence. Um, Carter asked me for some, to buy something the other day, and I said, man, that's so much more expensive than it used to be. And he goes, dad, money's more expensive than it used to be. You're going to have to get used to it. Well, that's a pretty good understanding of the world that we're living in. And yet the real stuff, the heavier stuff, is of much greater consequence and causes us to have much more anger and fear and despair. Um, one of the pieces of wisdom that we talk about often in our office with our staff, it's something that Nathan brought to us uh, sometime last year. Uh, he got it from a guy named Carlos Whitaker, and I don't know if it's original to him or not, but the, the way the saying goes is this, our psyches and souls were not created to carry the weight of all the stories we consume. And I want you to take a minute and just sit with that idea. Our psyches and our souls are not created to, to carry the weight of all the stories we consume. God designed us to be resilient humans, to be able to deal with a certain amount of grief and joy and celebration and gratitude. But every day, as humans today, we are overwhelmed as our screens give us uh, so many stories. Stories of violence, stories of loss, stories of, uh, of success, stories of people being uh, heroes and stories of people being villains. And we just consume and consume and consume. And, and, and we have to have some kind of emotional processing of this because we shouldn't be able to read all of these stories and, and just numb out. Your mind and your body and your heart has to emotionally respond to the many things that we're engaging with in the world today. And your body, your heart, your mind is not designed to consume the quantity of information that you're getting as someone living in the year 2022 in, in our world. It's too much. And it's causing us to collectively lose our minds. This week it struck me, 
sitting in the office and I got an email from World Vision, which is a Christian organization that has uh, as its goal the desire to uh, minister to and help the poorest in the world. And, and I opened the email and the email said, uh, right now the world's greatest crisis uh, is happening in Afghanistan. And I went, Afghanistan? Like, that's certainly a really embarrassing typo. They meant Ukraine. What's going on in Afghanistan? Afghanistan hasn't been in the news since... And then I remembered that it was only nine months ago that I sat and watched news coverage of people that were crowding uh, with incredible fear as the Taliban was, was crushing in on the capital, as they went to the airport trying to be refugees to get out of that country and into this one. And it's not like I wasn't personally involved. Our church uh, got furnishing and all kinds of stuff to house uh, and, and create a new home for a refugee family from Afghanistan here in Oklahoma City. We were part of it. And yet just nine months later, when I read a headline that Afghanistan remains in crisis, that the new government has come in uh, and that they have, uh, there's been the collapse of the healthcare system and a collapse of their economic infrastructure, uh, a collapse of their trading partners, the two countries where they get most of their food from are just to their north and are in war with one another. And so there is a massive hunger crisis for children in Afghanistan. And I thought, man, I forgot about Afghanistan. It's been nine months, but of course I forgot. After that happened nine months ago, uh, our country and the world was hit with the Omicron variant of the, of the coronavirus. COVID-19 was striking again and in new ways. And, and while many of us kind of thought, oh, it's not that again, and rolled our eyes, I thought, I'm so sick of this talk about the pandemic and, and, and new restrictions and new things that are coming up. Can't we just move on? Aren't we over this yet? The Omicron variant came through with a new wave of protective measures that caused all kinds of feelings and anxieties in all kinds of directions. But at the same time, it sent record hospitalizations worldwide as people dealt with the reality of that disease. And they dealt with having to, to miss things that they had looked forward to. And they had to deal with people getting sick and being in the hospital and some dying. At Northwest, we've had funerals of our members and family members of our members who've died as a result of the pandemic. We came out of the Omicron variant just a couple months ago, but COVID continues to be part of the world. Uh, but after that, we've had all kinds of other things that cause us uh, anxiety. Uh, we had Russia unprovoked go into Ukraine, causing one of the most catastrophic refugee crises in, in Europe that we've seen in 50, 60 years. Uh, 11 to 15 million people had to leave their homes as violence raged through that country and continues to go on today. And not only are we, we worried about the war, we're worried about the potential and get headlines coming across our screens every day warning about the potential risk of World War III and nuclear war. Things that our country hasn't talked about in decades are suddenly very much a part of our lives. Recently, the Supreme Court had a leak uh, about abortion and, and the possible changes to the laws in the United States, and, and everyone had very strong opinions about it. And they had very strong opinions about it out loud and at each other in angry ways, and uh, at times in, in hopeful for some people. Uh, some people were angry about the leak, others about the potential decision to come. And, and everyone just wanted to yell and say, I've got it figured out and you don't. And you ought to just get in line with my opinion. And it caused a lot of anxiety in our country. 
And, and I want to tell you, if, if uh, this isn't a sermon about abortion, and if you come up to me afterwards and want to talk about abortion, it tells me you weren't listening to the sermon. Okay, so there's that. Uh, if you think it's a simple topic, there's two things you need to know. One is this, is that there are women who have worshiped in this room and taken communion with us in this church uh, who have had abortions. And I'm thankful that they have been willing to share with me parts of their stories, stories of pain and grief and loss about things that happened at a different time in their life and, and that they have been sharing with and healing through. And I'm so thankful that they've been in this room and that they are in this room. Because Jesus died for them on the cross, and God made them in his image, and they need to be here in this room. And that's not a simple topic. And the other thing that I need you to know is that, that there was another woman who, uh, seven years ago, uh, chose not to have an abortion, and, and chose Leah and I to be the parents of her child. And so the complexity of that topic is very real, and it is not simple, and it affects real humans in real ways. And so if you just want to yell about the politics of it, I think you need to remember that, that families have felt things and gone through things as a result of that topic. And I think the more that we appreciate those stories, the more that we, uh, I think, will yell and divide less and love and heal more. But in our country, it turned out to be a flashpoint of anger and rage and set off protest in all kinds of directions and filled our screens with images of people holding up signs and yelling at each other with hatred in their eyes. Earlier this month, there was a shooting in Buffalo, New York, where a shooter went in with nothing other than racist intentions to kill people that he didn't think needed to be alive anymore to protect his people from those people. And this week we see a high school uh, student shoot his grandmother in the face and then go into a school and, and wreak violence and destruction on the children of families that will never be the same. And we become overwhelmed by this. It's overwhelming to live in a world where these images and these stories, we're consuming them day after day after day. It's overwhelming. Just talking about them in front of you today is an overwhelming experience for me, and I'm anxious just standing here talking to you about them. Our psyches and our souls were not created to carry the weight of the stories we consume. If you're familiar with the five stages of grief, their denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. That's good grieving. It's healing to go through those things. Is the anger good? It, you know, it doesn't feel good, but it's healthy. Is the bargaining good? It doesn't feel good, but it's part of healing. All of these things are there in, in the healing process when you lose something. And as a country, we're losing things all the time. The loss of innocence, the loss of safety, the loss of security, the loss of thinking that other people are sane and that I'm not the only sane person here. Those are all losses that we experience. And we hurt with the people who hurt. And we're angry that violence and evil exist in our world. And we don't want it to exist anymore. And it's good to feel angry when evil people do bad things to innocent people. 
But when it comes wave on wave on wave in the way that we have to consume it today, we can become overwhelmed by it and we can get stuck. In grief by yourself, the bargaining uh, is kind of negotiating through things and it's trying to negotiate with God for a new reality and and, and there's all that that's there. Uh, In community, the bargaining often just looks like a street fight on the internet. Your anger just gets directed to people that aren't as smart as you because you just want to take it out on them and tell them why they're fools and if they would just understand what you did, you could fix it all. That's the bargaining of grief and community. And there's others who are in denial. They just don't want to look at it. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to see it. I just, I just watch sports and Marvel movies. And as long as I do that, I don't have to worry about what's going on in the world. That's okay, but you're in denial. And in a community of people that are feeling all of these things, this is really, really tough. And we're feeling them all the time. And we don't ever have enough room to get to acceptance and healthy healing, uh, processing and community of these things. Because as soon as we get to anger and arguing, all of a sudden there's something new on the front pages that's triggering us back into our collective anxiety and frustration. All right, now that I've brought you all into the darkness, what does it look like for us as spirit-filled followers of Jesus to live in this world? Is there hope in the midst of all the darkness? I think that there is. And there's two things that I I want to suggest to you today. The first one is this, is that God's okay with you wrestling with him about these things. And the second one that we'll get to after that is that we all need to check out of our stories a little bit and take some deep breaths in the presence of God. We'll get to that one. First, we're going to wrestle with God, right? It's a more fun thing. And wrestle with God. And the Bible gives us room to do that and stories about people doing that. Job is the quintessential example of this. And it's like 48 chapters long and I can't read all of them to you. Uh, but what you need to know is that in Job, what he on several occasions suggests, uh, really poignantly in Job chapters 9 and 10, if you want to go read it later, Job is saying to God, God, I don't think I did anything wrong and I'm being tortured and tormented and punished and I don't think you ought to be punishing me. If there was a judge who could rule over you and I, I would sue you, and I'm pretty sure I would win the lawsuit. There's no one to judge God, is there? Job's kind of disappointed about that because he thinks that he ought not be suffering. And so when you get to the end of the book of Job and God shows up, Uh, And Job says, hey, listen, I don't think I should be suffering the way I have, and you're in charge, and you're letting this happen. I'd like to talk to you about that. God says, sit down for a minute and let me talk to you about that. He says, where were you when I put the stars in the sky? Where were you when I separated the sea from the land? Where were you when I put uh, all the creatures of the earth where they, were, where they are today? Where were you when I created the storms and all of the things in the world? And he says, who, who are you, Job, to question me when I did all of these things? And Job says, you know what? You're right. You're God, and I'm not. 
But the book is there so that we can have somewhere to see how it's okay to wrestle with God during tough times. When the stories of suffering seem to be overwhelming, we can go to books like Job and books like Ecclesiastes and books like Psalms. They're called wisdom books because they ask the question, why do good people suffer and bad people succeed? And if God, you're good and in charge, it feels like things should be different. And that's not a question that's unfaithful. That is a faith-filled question. God, if you're good and you're in charge, shouldn't things look better? Is a good question for faithful people to ask a good God who is in charge. There's room for that in Scripture. And yet even while there's room for that questioning, and it happens all through Scripture, we get passages like Deuteronomy 32 and 35, where where God says, It's mine to avenge. I will repay. In due time, their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near, and their doom rushes upon them. God says, listen, I know there's injustice in the world. Past, present, and future There is cruelty and violence and oppression in the world. And he says, here's what you need to know. I'm going to sort it out. I'm going to sort it out. There's times as a parent with your kids when they're saying something to you, and they're like, can we do this? Can we do this? Can we do this? Can we do this? And and you just want to say, just give me a minute. I'm going to take care of all the things you're worried about. Just give me a minute. God here, when people cry out and say, God, things aren't the way they need to be, he says, I'm going to sort it out. There's an unprovoked war going on right now in our world, God. Why would you let this happen? And God says, it's okay. I'm going to sort it out. I want to sort it out right now. I, I think that sometimes God's understanding of time is better than ours. We need to trust him. The way that this comes up in Romans when Paul is talking, uh, Paul says, listen, if you can come to believe and and understand that God's going to sort it out and that he's in charge and that that'll take care of things, here's what you can do. Uh, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. And, And I don't know about you, that doesn't sound like fun. I want to curse people that are evil. I want to be mean and get revenge on people that do violence to innocent people. I want justice worked out now. You need a good country song here, right, about saddling up our boys and going and working it all out on our own. We want revenge. The Bible says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. So in the meantime, while you're waiting for God to sort it all out, you've got to live differently than the world, not just being angry and wanting to use violence to get your way all the time. And he keeps going a few verses later. He says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord, quoting the Deuteronomy passage. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, 
but overcome evil with good. God, I want to go do harm to all the people that are doing harm to others. God says, I'm going to sort that out. Here's your job. Love people. But God, I want to curse them. Bless them. I want the people who are making people starve in this world right now to be hungry. And God says, well, you better give them something to eat. I'll settle the score. And in Revelation, there's this scene. Uh, in Revelation 6, there's this scene in the throne room of God where there's all of these people and they're dressed in white robes. And who these people are in Revelation is all of those innocent Christians who have died at the hands of Rome. And they've got a question. And their question is this. God, how much longer will innocent people suffer because of evil people in the world? When are you going to sort it out? So when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer, until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. And so they asked the question that we want to ask today. God, how much longer in this world will innocent people suffer at the hands of evil people? And the answer is, just a little bit longer. Just a little bit longer. It's not going to keep getting worse forever because God is going to sort it out. God is good and God's in charge and judgment for evil people is coming. But we've got to trust Him to sort it out. In the meantime, what do we do? We feed our enemies. We bless our enemies. We pray for our enemies. We love all people. Because if we try to overcome evil using the tools of evil, then only evil can win. But if we are willing to be people that try and overcome evil by outloving it, then the kingdom of God will have its way in this world, and God sorts out the rest of it in the next. Yeah. And that gives us hope. And so we don't have to be anxious all the time or fearful all the time because God's going to sort it out. But in the meantime, it's okay for us to wrestle with him about it. To say, God, if you're good and you're in charge, we want things to be different. And God, we want you to show up and start making them difference now while we wait for you to fix it all later. And there are times when God says, all right, I'm going to work some of this out, but you're going to have to help me. And he calls us to be the bringers of peace and the bringers uh, of love and the people who are making a different kind of community in the world. Sure. We start doing today in our lives what we want God to do ultimately in the end. Yeah. That's the first thing. It's okay to wrestle with God. And the second one is this, is that in the midst of living in a world where we have more stories and the weight of them than we can possibly carry we need times that we turn off the stories, the news, our anxieties, our fears, our things that make us angry, and we take a minute and we get still and quiet in God's presence. And we take a deep breath. Breath is the very first gift God gives you when you're born. 
and you need more of them if you're going to get through all the moments that come in life that get you to your last one. Take a deep breath. Take a moment. Relax. Psalm 137 is one of the most graphic of the Psalms. It ends with the request that, that God would kill the babies of Israel's enemies. So you know that it's heavy stuff. But listen to how it begins. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. We need moments. We need moments where we hang up our harps and we stop working for a minute and we sit by the river and cry. We need it. It's healing. Stillness, quiet, being in God's presence is part of getting through uh, the, the anger, through the denial, through the bargaining, through the depression. If we just stay in that cycle, you can stay there for your whole life. Sometimes you've got to sit by the river and cry so that you can get to the acceptance of the dark world that we do live in. Things here aren't the way that they were supposed to be, and they're not the way that they're going to be. But in the meantime... We need to be able to check out and unload some of these stories sometimes in the presence of God and get the healing that He wants to give us. And sometimes that means wrestling with Him, and sometimes it means sitting by the river, just letting it out. One of my favorite stories is a it's a Broadway production called Come From Away, and it tells the story uh, of the people that were on planes that landed in the tiny town of Gander, Newfoundland, taking the population from 5,000 to like over 10,000 overnight, people dealing with the, the, the attack on the Twin Towers. And they're processing it together, and they're trying to take care of each other, and Gander is using everything it has to be hospitable to people from all over the world who have just landed there and who are terrified of the change and loss of innocence that we all experienced that day. And there's this, this moment in, in the song towards the end, and the song is called Something's Changed, and, and people are on the planes going home, and the people in, the, in Gander are, are trying to clean up the mess of the people who are there, and they're all singing different parts of their story about how something has changed, and something is lost, and something had cost, and something is different, something is missing. And they're all doing that work of processing and reflecting and trying to make sense of what's changed in the world as they try and move towards acceptance. And one of the most poignant lines in the song for me is the mayor of Gander says, after five days of nonstop work and taking care of people, we just ran the Zamboni over the ice and played hockey. And when we were done playing hockey, I went home and I sat down and I cried because I hadn't cried yet. And the song is powerful because it shows the different voices and different stories of people who came together in that foreign land in an attempt 
to find their common humanity and do the healing work that we have to do in community. And we've lost that because we keep falling back into the cycle of denial and anger and, and depression. And we can't get out of it before the next story comes on like a wave and overwhelms us. And we're just all losing our minds all over each other. God wants us to wrestle with him some. God wants us to be still in his presence. If you go down to the Oklahoma City bombing memorial, it's one of the most beautiful memorials in the world. And in between 901 and 903 is a reflecting pool. Because moments like that require us to have reflection on what's changed and what's missing. And we don't spend enough time doing that in our lives while we overwhelm ourselves and drown in the collective stories we don't have the ability to carry. Wrestle with God and be still and know. Be still and know that God is God. The Psalms tell us that if you are only willing to be still and know that God is God, he will be exalted in all the world and exalted in all the nations. Are you willing to take God up on his promise to be still and know?